0: It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes, right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today, my guest is James McCrone. He is the author of four highly acclaimed political thrillers, and today he's here to talk about his latest book, called Bastard Verdict. How's it going James? Thanks for being here. Great, thank you very much. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, latest book, The Bastard Verdict.
1: Uh, So it's a a bit of a departure. I've been writing about American politics. Uh, Now uh, this one is set in Scotland. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The tagline is, uh, you don't need to win, just don't lose. Um, Right. Because in politics, you know, people cheat to win. Uh, or because they're afraid to lose, and they're very, they're very much not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in the book, um, uh, a second referendum on Scottish independence uh, is looming. They had one back in 2014, uh, and, uh, and uh, my recurring character, uh, Imogen, FBI agent Imogen Traeger, um, uh, uncovers meddling uh, in the first back in 2014, and uh, mm-hmm. desperate conspirators panic uh, with deadly results. Um, it weaves high stakes, low politics, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and complex characters uh, into a noir tale of power, uh, loss, and
0: corruption. Right, right. So now that's uh, so you've shifted from the United States over to Scotland with this latest one, The Bastard Verdict. Yeah. I was wondering what your uh, inspiration was to tackle politics over there in Scotland
1: it was particularly, uh, so I lived there as a boy. Um, okay. and, um, I've, you know, I've always loved the, uh, the country. Um, my, it was my grandfather who emigrated, uh, back in the 1920s, um, mm. Glasgow, uh, to the Boston area. Um, and, uh, I actually never met him. He died very, very young. He was like 48. Um, wow. yeah, it was terrible. Um, but in any case, uh, uh, so two years in in Scotland uh, as a boy, and um, there's a it kind of gets under your skin, you know the uh, the the place, the people, uh, the rhythms of language, um, and it was uh, there's a very famous uh, sort of the godfather of Tartan noir, William McIlvanny, uh, who okay. wrote the Laidlaw series and all that. Interestingly, you know he is a crime writer. Um, but my first uh, entree to him was a, a novel called Doherty, uh, which is set right at the turn of the century um, mm. and uh, really makes use of uh, Scottish vernacular, which, uh, you know, and I, I could hear it uh, in, right. you know, because I'd grown up around it. Um, anyway, though, uh, and I read lots of other books, um, Lewis Grassick Gibbons, Scott's Choir Trilogy, Highland River, you know, a bunch of these others. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hear those rhythms uh, to language and I, I wanted to use it. Right. If only to exercise the voices from my head.
0: <laughs> right. And also, too, that the, the way that the uh, characters speak becomes a character of its own in the novel. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yes, indeed. And I mean, setting, uh, I think very much is a character. I mean, going back to McIlvaney, I mean, the characters are recognizable and, you know, certainly translate to, uh, people get them and understand them, but it's difficult to, you know, they are of Glasgow. And, um, as the Scots say, uh, they don't ask where you come from. They ask where you belong. Right. <laughs> they belong to Glasgow. Um, right. in any case, the, um, uh, yeah, and I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted. I, I wanted the sense of place to really loom large, um, and mm-hmm. you know, I think I think I've done it.
0: Right. Yeah, it sounds like you have because a lot of the early feedback on this one is that it's yet another winner for you. I know that <laughs> you. Yeah, because you know you've done a lot of work in this field uh, in, in terms of your your novels that have also sometimes turned out to be quite prescient which is uh <laughs> which is terrifying given that you uh, wrote about american politics yeah and uh you know and the uh, the faithless elector series i know this one uh, the bastard verdict by the way a lot of people are waiting for me to slip into a bronxism and call it the bastard verdict but i'm intentionally <laughs> not doing that i like that uh, <laughs> i like that because i just try to keep it buried but um Anyway, I was wondering, uh, one of your protagonists from the Faithless Elector series is carried over into this book. And I was wondering, um, you know, if you could let people know who might not have read that earlier series, how a little bit about that and how you blend it into this, uh, another uh, completely different setting.
1: Right. So, um, and in fact, I have the Faithless Elector series and it's, you know, self-contained in the three novels, uh, Faithless Mm -hmm. Elector. dark network and emergency powers. And I had thought originally not to use um my this recurring character, Imogen Traeger, the FBI mm-hmm. agent and elections specialist uh for this book. I, um but uh she's an, she's a very strong character uh she's uh strictly sort of by the numbers uh kind of person if rarely by the book she kept sort of asserting herself you know uh as I began the process of uh, writing this, she was like, (laughs) she would assert herself, I could do that, you know. (laughs) Uh, So I brought her in. Uh, So she is uh, very hard-headed, impatient with um, a lot of the the kinds of things she has to do um, as a Justice Department official. Uh, In fact, uh, when she gets to Scotland, she's basically taking a year off from uh, the Bureau to Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, uh, gather herself um, keep her head down. Decide, you know, decide if she's even going to go back to the bureau. And you know, she just wants to do some research, keep her head down, maybe a little genealogy, you know, that kind of thing. But of course, you know, it's like Godfather Three. They keep pulling her back in. She hasn't been there a week. When somebody says, "Hey, listen," and, you know, a, a high-ranking Scottish official uh, takes her aside at a when she's giving her inaugural lecture at the University of Glasgow, and says, "Listen, you know, whatever's been said publicly, we're pretty sure." That 2014 election was stolen, and uh, if this second referendum goes forward, we want to make sure it's not stolen again. She's like, I- I'm an FBI agent. I mean, there is no way I can legally uh, Intervene. investigate outside investigate. of the United States. And but you know, she is who she is, and moth to a flame. Um, she starts digging into it, and that as she does, as she does begin to uh, uncover um, some things you know, people start dying.
0: Right. Right. As they tend to do more in our books than they do yeah. in real life, depending, <laughs> of course, I mean, it depends on who you listen to. Sometimes it happens there too, uh, yeah. in, in real life. Um, it, it must be a thrill for you when you write a novel, because I know I've had the same feeling and it may not have sold as well as we wanted, but some of the events in the novel turn out to be prescient. Um, I yeah. had that myself when I, I wrote my techno thriller series, the university series, and people said, oh, cell phones will never be able to do all that. You're crazy. <laughs> and um, no, you don't have to worry about Russia and China. There were the 20th century uh, villains. And uh, now AI will never do that. They'll never let it get that far. You're crazy. And yeah. it's not It's not that I, I feel like I told you so or that I'm Nostradamus or I'm I think it's just because I read a lot about this stuff and I took right. logical leaps forward and yep. I think that's what. And, and I think you can do that with any genre and I think that's what you've done as a student of politics you know small p um, and and working in government for as long as you did like I had done um, you, you just get to pay attention to certain details and then you accentuate those rather than going through the same tropes that you see in every other kind of uh, novel of that genre isn't that right
1: I think, yeah, thank you for saying that. Uh, and I, uh, I, I think you're right. And I think it's also, you know, from a writerly perspective, you know, we care so much, you know, about getting, you know, getting things right, um, mm-hmm. and making them believable, you know, you look at, okay, what would the bad guys do? I mean, from a political right. standpoint, what would they do? Well, you know, they could they could do this, they could do that. You know, and um, my only regret sometimes is that there will be times when I think I've gone way over the top. You know, this will never right. happen, and and yeah, and it does, yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: it does. Yeah. Well, just wait a couple of days. You'll read. It's true. Yeah. Life.
1: I think you're. I think you're, you're. You're showing amazing forbearance by not telling people "I told you so" as you you know uh, right. <laughs> in, the, in the university series. But I mean, at the same time, um, I've been—you know—I remember in the late '80s, early '90s, they were talking about you know you could stream movies on your computer, and everybody yeah. was like, "That that'll never happen." And it, you know, it's like I—I'm just—I just don't say that'll never happen anymore.
0: <laughs> right? You can't because I remember the old AT and T commercials with after Cliff Robertson died, Tom Selleck. And
1: yes. Yes.
0: And they were talking about how you're you won't have to slow down to pay your tolls, and they show them going right underneath what you see now with the cashless tolls. Yep. Uh, and that's what Easy has come become on the East Coast, and I'm sure it's called something else elsewhere. But th- those were all Bell Labs technologies that have been around since World War II. Right. And it's it's just they just didn't have a small enough delivery device, but now they do, and now you see it everywhere. Yep. Um, and it's funny too when you talk about. I would say like the, when you have a thriller genre, you have so, sometimes you could add like the paranoid subgenre of that, which is kind of like where you and I talk uh, dwell in our work where, um, you know, you have a government entity or government forces conspiring yeah. to have an outcome. Uh, you definitely get the, you, you can go back in history as I have and, and look at it and they've always, had a desire to listen in and uh, to know what was going on. Uh, I found out in in the research for one of my books, for example, that Lincoln had spied on every telegram that was sent in the United States during the Civil War. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, they all went to the Department of the Army first and then they were allowed to go on because they were afraid of uh, of messages going between spies back and forth. And then Uh they laid the transatlantic cable right there on the US side. The FBI had a listening device and that would go through where all the calls would go through the trunks and they could listen if they wanted to. They couldn't yeah. do it like they could now, but it's always been there. There's always been a, a desire to control. And I, I think that's what you explore in your books. The, indeed,
1: in indeed. The and notion that,
0: that people with access want to affect an outcome.
1: Right, right. And that, um, and that uh, you know, um, <clears throat> there are always uh, anti-democratic forces that you know want to um sort of do an end run on the 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 will of the people the right of the people to you know choose their own destiny uh a- anything they can do to kind of make that harder or make that make it seem like you're making a decision but you're not <laughs> you know right. that you're getting you're getting two options you're like i, I don't even know what this is you know uh, and they're like, well, you know, we put it to a vote. And you're like, okay, well, yes, I guess. Yeah. And th- that in fact, um, Bastard Verdict, it's not a um, courtroom drama. <laughs> right. Right. The title comes from Scottish law, uh, as distinct from Anglo American law, it actually has three verdicts, not two. Um, you know, mm. where we're familiar with guilty and not guilty, they have a third verdict, which is not proven. And what it comes what it's come to mean is that the jury or judge in a, in special cases feels that the defendant is probably guilty, but that the crown, in this case, uh, failed to make its case. You know and right. we can think, you know, you can think of like, you know, uh, mob guys who, you know, get uh, acquitted, um and they're like, "So I'm innocent. Well, we didn't say that. you know,
0: no, we said not guilty. No, yeah, we said right. not
1: guilty. and um and that, uh, this not proven verdict, you know, is really that uh, sort of, um, you know, it it follows you around. Anyway, and that actually, that was the working title for this book for uh, for quite some time. I was sitting around uh, having coffee with uh, some friends, a couple writers, in fact, and I explained that, you know, and that uh, I was explaining the whole thing. And then I I said, well, uh, Sir Walter Scott, back in the 19th century, called it the bastard Mm -hmm. verdict. And like, everybody just stopped and stared at me. And they're like, that's your title, <laughs> yeah. That's just way better than not proven. What the hell is right. that? I'm like, oh, yeah. So it's I one of it. the few cases where uh, you know something by committee was actually better <laughs> than <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. right. Exactly right. Well, you know what? The committee approved it, but you're the one who who uh, well, yeah. title yeah. on there, and that's that's fantastic. Oh, it's it's a really it's a, it's an eye catching title. It's a great cover, and right. I'm sure. That it's going to, uh, and I like the fact that after three books, you, you've you kind of moved her to another phase of her career. And now yeah. we're going to see exactly what happens from there. What, what kind of, uh, what are you working on now and what else can people expect from you in the future?
1: So uh, I'm working on a thriller, <laughs> a political thriller, uh, uh, set in rural Oregon. It's uh, called Witness Tree. My parents have some property uh, out in rural Oregon in Yamhill County um mm-hmm. beautiful out there um and i, I was very I, I was really struck by the the gap between sort of you know incredible wealth you know with the vineyards and all these kinds of things going on some um pretty uh, bleak uh rural poverty um right and that um anyway i, I was uh out my, my parents are kind of ailing at the moment uh i go out and check on them two three times a year I give my brother a break he lives near there you know they go to bed really early. <laughs> and I thought, okay, uh, I could start you know uh, a short story. And um near their near their property uh, on a, uh on a nearby hill, there is a witness tree. And what it is is a um, uh, a data point in surveys. Um, you know oh, okay, instead of them pounding a you know brass thing into the ground, here's this tree that you know now has a brass plaque on it. You can't cut it down. Uh, it's well placed. You can see it from everywhere. And when they're doing surveys, they can, you know, mark, uh, you know, where they are based on it. Okay. Thought, yeah. I, anyway, I thought witness tree. That's great. You know, uh, somebody, somebody sees something. Okay, good. They witness, you know, and I'm like, okay, they see something they shouldn't. Even better. Like, okay. And I, but I'm looking at this tree and it's, it is well placed. You can see it for miles around. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How do you see something you shouldn't and not be seen seeing it mm. so that that that's where i really got going and i actually thought that was a short story but it just kept not being a short story um it kept growing um you know i saw characters and yeah. with this launch i haven't been doing much work on it but uh i'm hopeful right. uh in the next week or two i'll be able to kind of get back into that groove
0: well, i'm sure you will i'm sure you will yeah it's funny because your uh your latest book the bastard verdict is in set in scotland and um I know the Scottish have an ideal idea of the uh, shrieking tree where you go out in the right. middle of, uh, of something and then you you release all of your anger at this tree. <laughs> and uh, I think that's where George Martin got his um, got his idea for the trees from uh, the uh, Game of Thrones series. That, really? Uh, that, oh, yeah, I think really that's it. But I, but I do know that the, the Scottish, because uh, I read it in a couple of James Clavell books, that they, they had something known as the shrieking tree. And so it was, uh, or something along those lines. I'm sure someone who knows Scottish folk history far better than I do will be able to qualify. Oh, hey, that. Hey, hey. As soon as,
1: as soon as we're done talking, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on the internet and I'm looking up <laughs> and trying to find out everything I possibly can.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Now speaking of the internet, how, uh, how can people keep uh, track of you and follow you uh, and your, your career in the future?
1: Uh, for the book, there is bastardverdict.com. Um, and, uh, it links directly back to, you know, my main author page, jamesmccrone.com. Uh, -hmm. McCrone is M-C-C-R-O-N-E, jamesmccrone.com. Uh, and then I'm on, um, I'm on Twitter, uh, at least for now.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And, uh, Facebook, uh, uh,
0: uh,
1: Instagram, um, and actually Mastodon. Um, there's a Mastodon.scott, uh, site that I, uh, I've, I've really been enjoying. It's, um there, there aren't nearly, uh, it's not nearly, <clears throat> excuse me, the traffic, that say Twitter has. So it, it kind of feels curated in a way that I, that I rather enjoy.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, there's no shortage of places to uh, be able to follow you and see what you're doing. And there, it sounds like there's no shortage of good stuff from you to come in the future. So James, yeah, thank, thank you, you so much for taking time for being here today. Appreciate it. Thank
1: you. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It's great to, great to talk with you again. And I'm sorry I wasn't having a cigar while you were having a cigar. <laughs> uh, but uh, maybe I'll go have one now. Then I'll go look up the shrieking tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or you can do it at the same time. You know, you can have one and on your phone and bang, you look it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, although uh, my, yeah, my Wi-Fi out there. Well,
1: we'll see. We'll see.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much, pal. And And I know my audience appreciates it. And I appreciate everyone for tuning in for yet another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thank you. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.